Hi, welcome to the Plus Up podcast brought to you by Media Plus Advisors. I'm Susan George, one of the partners at Media Plus Advisors, and I'm here today with my two colleagues, Carly Feinstein and Perry Ann Grignan. We're super excited to have another guest today. And Carly, do you want to go ahead and introduce our guest? I would love to. Thank you so much. I am very excited to introduce our guest because we all just love talking to him. He is a wonderful partner and a friend. And may I introduce to you Eduardo Vignani, who is currently at Globality, and he's on their management team, and he is the VP of the marketing category. And I am going to let Edo, which is what we call him, by the way, I'm going to let him give his background story and talk about what he's doing at Globality and what role Globality plays in the media marketing ecosystem. Thank you very much, Carly and uh, Susan and Perian. It's an absolute pleasure to be on this podcast. Thank you so much for thanking me and inviting me here. Um, and I'll uh, take you up on it and give you a little uh, short uh, perspective on my background and uh, uh, sort of how our paths have intertwined uh, before. Um, I um, actually started as a founder in dot-coms and uh, then shifted in a advisory-focused career, really first in marketing procurement and other indirect uh, le uh, procurement leadership roles. Uh, and then really focusing for a large part of my career in marketing supply chain strategy roles, uh, primarily at Accenture. Um, in doing so, I've I, uh, I'm really privileged to have observed uh, and helped influence and implement uh, a lot of very innovative and interesting marketing approaches across many, many advertisers. Um, but um, I found very quickly that my passion was really in developing healthy agency and partner ecosystems. To me, it was absolutely the key and to performance, the key to outcomes, the key to successful marketing campaigns was the ability to work with, identify, and drive the partnerships with a variety of complex uh, agencies and companies out there. And one of the frustrations I always observed was that uh, uh, I saw a lot of companies develop a high level of uh, maturity and sophistication in the management of these relationships only for things to fall apart over time uh, and then having to rebuild those frameworks, rebuild relationships. So I joined Globality because I found that it was a new approach towards solving or helping solve this age-old problem. That is, how do you drive performance of trusted partners? Um, a little bit about Globality, we are a company, we're a software platform provider. Uh, we are revolutionizing how companies identify, select, and manage the best service uh, agencies and suppliers through the application of AI uh, with a key focus on enabling greater economic inclusion, which is part of our mission, of course. Um, and uh, there, I'm, as uh, Carly teed up, I'm responsible for marketing category. Uh, where my team and I focus on enhancing this art of partner selection and partner management through the application of repeatable and learning-based systems and technology. That's, I think, enough about me. Uh, really, I'm, I'm excited about uh, uh, about the, the topic of, of partner management and ecosystems, and I, can, I really look forward to our chat. Well, thank you so much for that introduction. I love how you talked about that globality is has the art to it because we all know marketing has that art and science balance. And with the platform and the AI, you get the science. And with the human aspect of it, you get the art, which is great. So I'm going to get us started. I think by now our listeners know that our format tends to be a Q&A to get conversation flowing. Um, so while we do want to discuss relationship management programs in detail, because we did promise that to our listeners since we only scratched the surface on it on other podcasts, for this I want to take a more macro view as a first step because the fact is partner relationships need a written agreement to guide that partnership's goals, expectations, and so much more. And uh, the three of us working with you on, have, have worked with you on many engagements when we were all at Accenture. And during that time, I learned more about partner contract best practices than from any other source. So let's get warmed up with this question. 
what makes a gold star agency partner contract? You flatter me too much, and I have to admit that uh, uh, it's a really tough question we're starting out with because uh, the, the underlying question always is, what does good looks like look like? And uh, in my mind, a lot of it is around experimentation. But there are some very sort of common elements to all these elements. Uh, so think about it this way: a contract is. Uh, and a gold star contract in many ways is not that unique in an agency for agency partner relationships on the surface of things. That is, it still needs to reasonably protect both parties, it needs to define requirements, uh, it needs to be clear and concise so that a non-expert audience is able to uh, manage it, uh, and uh, critically needs to be built for long-term success. Um, all these things should be common to all contracts, and uh, often the challenge is more making sure that they do get placed uh, and considered uh, rather than not. But what I think is distinctive, particularly in the media and agency space, is that there's these are very important contracts. These are large complex, often multi-regional, multinational uh, agreements where a lot of money is flowing through the relationship and a lot is at stake for the performance of the advertisers who are relying on media one way or another to achieve our business outcomes. And these, because of a complexity, because of the specificity of it, it means that you need to ensure that they are managed and set up for a long time frame in a way that makes all parties happy. And that's why the concept of ensuring that in the contract there is performance monitoring and management as a concept and as a set of operational guidelines to multiple levels of, 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 of details, as, as I'm sure we'll get to and discuss, is absolutely vital and distinctive. That is, what, uh, what is a Gold Star Agency Partner contract? It's one that not only covers all the basics, as any contract should, but really is also thinking and documenting in it, how do I enable, how do I create a framework, and how do I, do I really hold all of us accountable to performance, in a structured and fair fashion. I know it's so great to have you here with us today. Um, and I really liked how you kind of set the stage, you know, overall um, in terms of what makes a gold star, um, you know, partner contract. But I'm going to ask you about focusing in on the relationship and performance management piece. Um, I'm fascinated with emerging brands. Let's pretend I'm an emerging brand, right? And there's been a lot of them in 2020. So it could be a company that's, you know, seeing, you know, a lot of growth this year and has not been doing this for a long time. If they came to you and said, okay, on the relationship and partnership piece, what are the must-haves? What must I have in that thing to really get it lifted off and, um, and as you said, be healthy? Perian, I love that use case because it is so common. And the thing is, every brand, every company can be at some stage of maturity in that stage where they need to figure out how, where do I get started and what really must I consider? And emerging brands are, are sexy and uh, and they, and uh, often they have a, the, the compression of time tied into it. And they also often may not have the level of resources and the level of uh, uh, of ability to uh, cover all the bases up front when they are building their brand and planning launches and optimizing their campaigns, etc. So the must-haves in my mind are always uh, if you will, almost like a simple framework. I'd be amazed, but sometimes just agreement that performance management should happen is absolutely the first conversation that needs to be had and that needs to be incorporated. Because 
especially when you're launching into a new relationship or you're expanding your relationship with a partner, uh, there's, there's this level of implicit trust and commitment, such as, of course, we've picked you guys or working with you because we trust you and we'll work together jointly. And that is true and that works very well. But that's also something that can change as people roles change, as situations get challenging, as some of the outcomes and objectives are not exactly met for reasons that may have completely been outside of a control of either party. So because of that, the concept that you should have a level of performance management that's documented, that's fair, that is used as a set of guiding principles and also fallback mechanisms to ensure that there's accountability is super important. And it often requires a level of, uh, of internal alignment, really, of making sure that the key stakeholders and the key partners uh, at uh, the advertiser are aligned that it needs to happen and that uh, there are certain considerations uh, with you know, finance and the sort of other uh, stakeholders, and certainly legal, uh, that, uh, that uh, the framework will be operationalized. But first thing first is, yes, there needs to be agreement, but it should be done. And then it becomes a question more into, well, now that we've agreed that, yes, we'll do it, then the question is, well, what is success? And this is a little bit of an introspection aspect to it. We should be considering, and an advertiser should be considering, what is success and what are the expectations of a partner? What are kind of the outcomes and the quality expectations and sort of the cost components and the experience aspects and the other value adds that we expect of a partner? So there's a definition as it relates to, well, what is it really that we expect? And then finally, and this is a really important piece as it relates to the commercial aspect of contracts, because there's a lot of value, of course, in ensuring that you do it I and mean, to define what it is that you're going to do it. But then the question is, well, why does it matter and what is the impact of it? And that is defining a framework for risk and reward, which is fair, which and which primarily is also accountable on both parties. It has, needs to have a level of uh, mutual partnership that is embedded within it, that creates the, the conditions for a win-win relationship over time. You know, we love hearing about uh, the things you're talking about, talking about the mutual nature, really protecting both parties, focusing on risk and reward and partnership. How can marketers and their agencies enable performance so that it's mutual and not one-sided? Uh, Susan, this is a really tough one as well. I mean, uh, uh, <laughs> no, and, and, that's, and that's a great thing. I mean, this is, it, it, it's funny because some people will say that, that this topic is so difficult that it can't really be tackled. It actually can, and, and very successfully so, but it doesn't mean that the topic itself is to be taken lightly. So the way I like to think about it is, um, first thing is don't make it transactional. Just because there is a transactional aspect to a media relationship and there's a lot of individual activities and a lot of flow of work doesn't mean that the uh, relationship itself uh, is or should be limited to that perspective. So first thing is elevate re relationship uh, and that alone can help make sure that you're thinking from a mutual perspective. B, I think there's also need to be a sensitivity on uh, the relationship between agencies and advertisers, which is uh, important to consider. The uh, advert agencies working on behalf of advertisers and with the spirit of representing the advertisers' best interest need to be able to have the ability to, the access to, the knowledge of and the ability to always feel confident that what we're doing is indeed in the best interest of the advertiser himself. That requires a level of bi-directional communication, bi-directional engagement, bi-directional visibility, uh, which is inherently vital to, to good outcomes. So when you think about the framework requires it, and it is not a transactional perspective, then how do you actually then make it mutual and not one-sided. There's a few considerations and tips and tricks that I found uh, have helped over time. Um, first, it is think of the don't don't start uh, 
by in the penalty box. Don't start your relationship by putting your agency or in a situation where they're unlikely to be successful uh, just because they're starting from such a gap uh, or their your expectation for performance is so high that there's no way they can catch up, particularly if they're not enabled uh, to do so, or, or if they uh, don't own or don't control all the different ways that uh, uh, they could be enabled to, uh, to drive performance. So don't start from the penalty box. Uh, don't make, uh, don't create frameworks or don't create reward mechanisms that are, that reward bad behavior. So make sure that you prioritize the requirements, define uh, what you're looking for your agency to accomplish, and that you're incentivizing those areas that matter to you most. This goes back to as mentioned earlier about introspection. Think about yourself and then say what matters to me and then make sure that your risk and reward mechanisms are tied into those, those elements. And, uh, and then also don't create too much risk in a system is also another important principle uh, to uh, not make it one-sided. If you create too much risk for, for one party, but often for agencies, that can also create, can create an unhealthy relationship and can be seen as one-sided. Um, I think a lot of it uh, goes back to human elements. Uh, ensure that there is mutual respect. Ensure that you acknowledge what are the wants and needs and must-haves for either party. And then create a structure that is not unbalanced by default and by design. And then, of course, there's other elements which, I, which can probably explore a bit further, which are around well, tweaking it over time, starting small, uh, there's elements to help enable how to make it mutual. But I would say let's start simply by acknowledging that it has to be mutual in order for it to be successful uh, and to not start anybody from a penalty box. That's that's amazing. Great stuff. And and as you were talking, I, I was brought back to our conversation with Matt Kazendorf at the four A's, who said a lot, some, some of those things that you said, especially around simplicity and don't make it too complex that it's just daunting and, and nobody wants to, to, to do anything. Um, so with that said, the, the, you know, Perry Ann talked about there are clients that that maybe aren't as familiar with this, but we also think some of our listeners who maybe weren't born and bred in the marketing or agency side coming from other areas of the, the ecosystem, like platform companies, they may be less familiar with a relationship management plan. I'm wondering if you could break it down to like the components that that are that really need to be in there, even in the simplest form. Absolutely, and uh, it's funny that you mentioned that, Carly, because uh, it's easy to get very wonky very quickly in this topic. So I'm going to do my best to uh, to not del delve into too much detail. Um, I would say that you know the concept of relationship and performance measurement plans. Um, many people equate with KPIs and SLAs. You have a number. You have to hit a number. Uh, if you hit the number or above or below, that means a certain outcome. And in quantitative areas that are pure or, or very sort of widget based set of services, that is possible, but it is very reductive in an area that it is so centered around uh, the nuance of understanding how an advertiser operates, what they need to accomplish, and what is the best path instead of recommendations or executions to drive that outcome that the agency would be responsible for. So with that, I would say that there's maybe four key kinds of, uh, uh, of components, but it's very important to then also consider the relative weight and priority and feasibility of measuring each of those. But first things first, what are kind of the four kinds? Certainly business outcomes are very important. We need to have context on what is the brand, what is the campaign, what is the advertiser looking to accomplish, how much is it growth, conversion, performance, penetration, exploration. There's so many metrics, but uh, the concept would need, and in most performance measurement plans, there's a level of way to correlate 
the contribution fairly of the agency partner with business outcomes. And certainly the, the agency needs to know what those outcomes are and how much the advertiser themselves weighs them in order to prioritize them. Then um, there's uh, certainly the qualitative aspect of working with the agency. And that some people, e even in today's digital, highly programmatic, highly technology augmented and supported world, we never need, we never must lose sight that we're still working with humans who are understanding, appreciating, interpreting, loading, configuring, and optimizing the combination of processes and systems that then deliver the outcomes. And therefore, the ensuring that you are working most productively and efficiently with humans is absolutely vital to performance. And these are things such as engagement of your agency team, uh, level of innovation and exploration to expect from them, level of uh, you know process uh, uh, you know, compliance or improvements to expect from them, uh, the level of uh, and certainly there's a huge 360 aspect to it, which is how much have uh, has uh, have the internal advertiser uh, teams, the you know agency marketing media teams have enabled the agency teams to be successful as well through good briefing principles and uh, clarity of outcomes and objectives, etc. Um, how well has the agency partnered with other agencies? There's a whole bunch of qualitative elements that need to be accounted for through a combination of surveys, combination of uh, measurable uh, elements, and certainly a huge amount of ensuring the right expectations are set and that those are achievable expectations. Then the third bucket I would define, and this is going more into the nuts and bolts of the media world itself and very media specific, is you do need to have quantitative measurement and ability to review the performance of the agency on SLAs that are specific to feeling that level of confidence and trust of the agency is being tactically the best steward for uh, an advertiser's dollars. So accuracy of billing, uh, responsiveness, if you will, uh, process improvements, speed of insertions, there's concepts that are tied into how quickly, how well, and how accurately the basic level of activities are. And I think of this almost as a uh, it seems like it's something that should be just uh, table stakes, right? So of course, you would expect your partner to be able to get all these things done well. But with all the other priorities that come into play, you do need to be able to not lose sight of the fact that there still are table stakes. It still needs to, uh, to cover the basics. And you need to properly confirm that uh, the, your partner is living up to their requirements and that also always with an introspection lens, that you're enabling them to do so in a fair and consistent fashion. And finally, the last one, which is really more around the media specific measure. So this is the fourth component, I would say, is really tied into the quantitative and qualitative aspects of how well has the media delivered against the outcomes and objectives. And this is where I'll defer to Media Pluses and your team's expertise, which is far deeper than mine, as it relates to what all that huge universe of measures can be. But really, when I think of it from a contractual perspective, it is it is it it gets boiled down to understanding what are the measures that exist, how can we be measured, who is going to be doing the measuring, and sort of with what frequency and time, and effectively making sure that there is the right weighting as it relates to which one of those measures really matter tied into the outcomes. And what I think is my final point is you have business outcomes, you have qualitative, you have the quantitative process, and then you have a quantitative and qualitative media performance. None of those things exist in a vacuum. They all need to be balanced against each other. And the sad reality is that as much as you would like it to, we just can't have it all at the same time, all the time. Priorities need to be established. Uh, there are going to be some trade-offs to be had as speed versus quality versus cost. That's just how the world operates. And the goal is to elevate 
all those measures and then figure out how not to fall behind on any of those and certainly prioritize the ones that matter the most so that you have outsized performance in those areas that matter the most. And the entire performance system needs to be able to incentivize all the strategies and tactics that feed that outcome. Wow, thanks for that. That's such a comprehensive framework that you, uh, uh, you know, described for us. So thinking about what you were talking about, two of the four components that you mentioned, really business outcomes and quantitative performance measures. I wanted to focus on those a little. You know, we've worked together in the past and, in, you know, in our past world, we've been asked to, you know, look at things like cost and quality of media and validate and analyze a whole bunch of different KPIs, really focused. They were traditional, focused more on linear TV. And, you know, because because of just the way that traditional media auditing has been set up, it really um, made it so that we were oftentimes excluding a lot of activity, just as you know, the benchmarks and things that we really focused on tended to be traditional. Um, you know, so we've been talking a lot about moving away from those traditional, that traditional media auditing mindset into more of an omni-channel um, measurement and really focusing on media performance management. Um, you know, so just, you know, as we think about the way we've evolved our process and I, you know, we've shared a little bit of that with you, we, we're looking at breaking things down into some foundational KPIs, which I think would lend into, a, you know, more of the quantitative performance measures, but also really some customized business outcome based KPIs. So as we think about those and working with clients, um, how would we think about getting those actually into a contract or a relationship management plan? Because they are a little bit more customized in nature and not, you know, really these off the shelf type things, which we want to move away from. Thank you, Susan. And I love a question because it really zeroes in on one of the observations that I've had time and time again, which is, it's almost like an observation bias when you just because you can measure something just because it's visible doesn't mean that it is good effective or practical uh to do so and in fact it can create exactly the wrong focus as compared to your business outcomes now i talked a lot earlier about you know frameworks and some kind of kpis but this kind of also goes to the core as to why so if you don't mind i'll take a second to answer the why and then definitely answer the your specific question on uh, on uh, sort of how can the KPIs, the right KPIs, be incorporated into a contract and relationship management plan, and when I think as to kind of the the, the why the media world really benefits from a new way of thinking, at least from uh, my perspective as an, an adjacent uh, influencer as compared to somebody who truly has lived uh, in and out of it, um, has been that. Uh, uh, it is a complex, fast-evolving, really uh, strategic part of a business, and one with, that has the this highly quantitative and structured aspect to it. And people find comfort in measuring numbers and in seeing hard uh, dashboards with uh, lines, hopefully uh, forever going up, and and because so much of the data was tied historically was tied around the cost aspects but due to the long long legacy of media aspects media buying as you were mentioning uh, anchored around linear tv and then mechanisms that just has become almost like, a, like an opium for people who are looking into the traditional ways of doing performance management and measurement because they had data, therefore they were measuring it, and therefore since we're measuring it, it mattered, and created this vicious cycle of reinforcement as it matters because I can see it, I can see it, therefore it matters, et cetera, et cetera. And all that it has done from my you know, ecosystem uh, sort of lens, has been to create a dysfunctional set of relationships which have caused for a mismatch of trust between agencies and advertisers, which has caused for agencies who are highly qualified and highly capable in providing services to be unfairly judged, and causing our agencies to focus on the wrong aspects that they thought uh, would be the best way for them to fulfill obligations of poorly formed contracts, which then caused for clients to lose trust in them. 
So in all situations, it, be it became a it has become a challenge to to look into KPIs that are just not effective because it, that's what is causing in so many ways this uh, uh, a lack of uh, of perceived performance or a lack of alignment and outcomes. So that's a little bit on the why, uh, but the question really was, well, given that we have the opportunity to actually set up a different framework and a different set of KPIs, which actually are much better uh, optimized to drive what we would want to, well, a little bit, how can we actually set them up? So a few thoughts around that, because I like to always to think in principles uh, rather than KPIs. It's not a list of this is the KPI that you, sh you should have, because in my experience and opinion, uh, there's never a one-size-fits-all approach. Rather, it is the concept of saying, how do I, with facilitation, with a little bit of structure and process and, and thinking, set up and, and determine which KPIs at what level uh, of importance in what framework actually makes sense. So a few thoughts. First, certainly looking into business outcomes, you'd want to diagnose and prioritize the behaviors and outcomes you want to drive. Always think behaviorally first. Uh, if I need to motivate a team of individuals who are facilitating buyers on my behalf through configuration and uh, setting of systems and negotiations with uh, uh, media asset owners and, and whatnot, what do I, what I do, would I want them to do? So think about your marketing plans, think about your campaign plans, look into your expectations as it relates to what matters to you most. Is it the speed to market? Is it the agility to pivot and change campaigns at a whim? Is it the ability uh, to be reactive uh, or uh, to uh, uh, world events? Is it the need to be proactive as it relates to uh, uh, inserting and becoming thought leaders or inserting new uh, uh, new elements of, of uh, new topics in the conversation? Uh, is it really more about saturation? So you do need to be sensitive, of course, to how your brands operate and what your outcomes need to need to be. Um, within that, therefore, you also need to really, and an advertiser really needs to think about how much is transformation that I'm looking to uh, focus on versus optimization. That is, do I need to be disruptive? Am I, do I have questions relates to what is the most effective way to reach my outcome? Or am I really confident ultimately that I've done all that work? And I just really need to optimize within certain defined confines. And uh, and by the way, in a single company, you might have very much have differing answers. And especially if you're working across multiple brands and multiple business units in particular, those things will be different. And that's fine because if you know that those needs exist, if you define what they are, and then you're able to communicate them properly to the agency and document them in your agreement, then the agency is best enabled to set up their teams and their structure and their delivery to be able to achieve those outcomes. And that's why, just in perspective, you also need to think about the duration of the objectives. What is short-term, mid-term, long-term? Build your relationship, build your KPIs and incorporate them in a contract, not just thinking that you already are a mature state, don't try to, don't expect you're always going to be in catch-up mode. Build the concept you're going to be evolving over time, going to tweak, you're going to uh, enhance your approach of management, and uh, that those is going to be built, uh, and that should be built on a short to mid to long-term mentality. So, Diagnosis and prioritization across those areas. And this is, I think, if you don't mind, uh, Susan and team, I think they're going to have a fairly long answer in this area because there's so many other aspects uh, to it. So going back to the question always was, how can KPIs can incorporate into a contract? So first you diagnose and prioritize it. And you're based on the outcomes and behaviors. Then, super important, make sure to, for each of those, to determine what is quantifiable what is attributable, that is, that the agency and, and your partners have direct uh, or control or, or indirect, uh, sufficient indirect influence on it, how to measure it, and consider the cost and effort tied into the measurement of each of those KPIs to determine do they pass that criteria. It's a, very, in a simple way. 
come up with a long list of things that you would want to measure, determine sort of how much they correlate to your outcomes, and then think about, well, can I really measure it? Do I have a mechanism or system? And if I can measure it, how expensive, how challenging, how difficult is it to measure, and should I be measuring it? This is tough because you're going to find situations where you really, really want to measure something, but it's tough to, you don't have a data right now, you don't have the knowledge, you don't have the ability to decompose and, and attribute it. But that's when you build a plan to say, well, it's important to me, I'll eventually want it. If I have it, we will all feel good about the agency's performance. And it's going to hit that mutual aspect of trust and risk reward. And just because we can't do it now, let's plan on getting it done in year two or year three or even in year five of a relationship and build a framework and infrastructure that gets us to that outcome. And I want to go back a little to um, the use case that I brought up before. You know, it's kind of like that emerging brand thing, right? And I loved how you just talked about the how. Now I want to get a little deeper into the how. And that is, okay, I'm a newly minted CMO, right? I, I want to be world class. I'm hiring people. I've got, you know, new talent coming in. I've got a lot of change. You know, um, I've grown in market share, but maybe my competition has, you know, uh, you know, has woken up to that. How do you keep a, a an agreement fresh and evolving? So once it gets set up, you know, we don't want it to be a document that doesn't live. We want it to be something that guides success. What have you seen out there um, about really focusing on, you know, bringing back the behaviors that you want to reward and how do you make it real? CMOs and marketing leaders have a lot on their plates and the and there's always going to be the intrinsic challenge as to how much should I invest to manage an area? And what's funny enough, I've often seen that that does not happen sufficiently because to me, a contract and a relationship is kind of like an infrastructure investment. You build a bridge, you build a highway, you need to be able to plan to budget and allocate resources over time to maintain it. You need to plan that there's going to be episodic aspects where you're going to need to go in and paint the lanes, resurface the, the asphalt and uh, upgrade uh, the spans uh, and and it and keep it and, and if by doing so you're enabling for the lifespan and the quality of experience of the riders on, on, on that highway, stretching the analogy a little bit, uh, to live that much longer. So I think the first parameter I always consider is a contract is not a one and done deal. And I've, I've talked a lot already about how it should evolve over time and uh, how you should plan for it to evolve over time. But the reality is that the entire relationship and not just a contract uh, sort of requires it. So the context is you need to be able to uh, to plan ahead of time. You're going to be managing it proactively. Now, the million dollar question is how to do so. And that's where there are different approaches and models. You, some build internal competency, but it gets really expensive given that it is an episodic nature of work that you need. Some try to rely on you know, general purpose platforms or supplier relationship management technologies to do so, all of which are mostly a poor fit for the need and don't account for qualitative aspects. Um, and I think the most clever ones are ones that think of it in context of uh, both an episodic uh, level of uh, review and uh, measurement and, and refreshes, as well as an ongoing kind of platform visibility and, uh, and kind of tracking layer tied into it. So that's a little bit as to kind of a framework as to kind of like the, the how do you keep it fresh. Uh, I would say that uh, on top of that, I mean, the, why you need to keep it fresh is also need to remember plans change. It's marketing, it's it's media world, it's very fast evolving. 
a framework that you've set up one year might just be unbalanced three months later, four months later. You just need to have that level of diligence to keep thinking just because it was the best contract that anybody has ever written ever on day one doesn't mean that it's going to be as relevant or as optimal in on day 180. And that's fine. That is to be expected. This is an important relationship. You do want to really pay attention managing it. And I think another lens that also would posit as being uh, as being important is you need perspective. And when you're in it, need it day after day, managing your and working with your partner, uh, you may have the best level, the best day-to-day -day relationship and engagement, but you still might have at that point a level of tunnel vision and you may not really be focusing on also what you should be considering and you should be looking into. So find a way and a mechanism to introduce outside perspective, fresh perspective, and somebody that can challenge the assumptions that either party may have fallen into so you don't end up falling into a rut. Because that's also another, this is like relationship 101. Like you may have found the best operating system ever. You may have even a cadence of uh, of refreshes and, you know, like date night, you know, every third Thursday and whatever. But really, you may still find that over time that can in and of itself become a rut. Remember, there's going to be some, something else that could be done uh, and that can, both parties can benefit from. So... Those are a few thoughts on the how, Perianne, to your question as to how to keep a contract fresh, invest in it, uh, uh, d d measure it and, and check it over time, and then get a fresh take on it every now and then and say, hey, really, is even though we're feeling good about everything and all parties are happy and, and it's working, maybe we could do like both be happier in this. What's that look like? I love that. Um, you know, I, I think we've said it before, you know, we're oftentimes nodding along as you're talking, but um, I've been on mute. I've been audibly like, yes, oh, I like that and writing things down. So this <laughs> has been a great conversation so far. Um, you know, this is another question just, and this doesn't have to be about contracts or relationship management, but, you know, you spend a lot of time um, working with a bunch of different people, but you, you do spend a lot of time primarily with procurement folks. So, what would be your number one piece of advice for marketing and media procurement clients, both on what to do and what to avoid? Great question, and uh, it's it really so much of, of my of my career and my time has been spent with uh, with procurement that I really empathize with the challenges that procurement procurement and uh, uh, marketing procurement departments have in particular because it's. Media is such a big line item on the external expenditures of a company, and uh, procurement is so often measured against uh, savings and uh, very measurable specific type of cost-based outcomes that accounting for and enabling the performance, progressive performance management as, as we've been exploring can inherently be a challenge for a lot of organizations because it's rare even in 2020, uh, that uh, uh, when it boils down to it, the procurement really, really gets measured on quantitative aspects because it's, again, hard to pin numbers on it and it's hard to assign value to the quality of an experience. So there's a few thoughts here, and I'll definitely get to kind of like the, like the number one uh, kind of priority both on do and, and not do. But I think the, the bigger question in my mind is, Procurement is often a, a vital partner in helping enable and manage and set up and monitor the performance of uh, of contracts because that's part of in, in many companies of their of, of a job description. So, but they will be balanced and biased towards things that also they can uh, show that they've driven value in uh, and versus others that uh, are uh, more reliant on media mar or marketing inputs or are unquantifiable. So the real question in my mind always becomes is how do you make procurement successful when their goals may inherently be distinct from that of uh, marketing and media? And you know, the easy solution often is, uh, answer is, well, just align the goals. But that actually is much tougher in practice than uh, to do in practice. Uh, so, 
the question is, first off, collaboration between procurement, marketing, media, and the agency partner is an absolute must-have. Nothing will work without collaboration, visibility, and goals and alignment. So that is a table stake type uh, context. Second, the perspective is to consider the principle of attribution also as it relates to performance of a partner, so that you distinguish between the elements that procurement focuses on, which may be some of our quant measures tied into the performance of a, uh, and compliance to the of, of the agency as it relates to uh, uh, process insertions, whatever, uh, as well as some of the measurable aspects and tracking and enablement of tracking of both quantitative and qualitative media performance measures. While the stakeholders really focus um, on the marketing media side, really focus on the qualitative relationship and business outcomes measurement. Because often a gap that I've seen is that while the principles kind of agree, everybody agrees even to those you know, four pillars for performance, but then relatively little attention is being paid uh, to the measurement of a qualitative of business outcomes, or those elements are measured or captured inconsistently. And, uh, and really the perspective here is make sure that your media marketing partners are enabled, empowered, and have ownership over those goals so that when you're building and showing a collective case as to the performance of a partner, you have all the inputs in to be able to show that those elements matter, that they're being measured and being tracked. And by doing so, you'd be amazed, it actually deprioritizes the focus on the cost components because senior leadership can then say, oh, God, yeah, you guys, I understand now why it is that this metric may have gone down or these costs may have gone up. It's because it was a strategic investment done for these business outcomes that we've measured in this very highly correlated fashion. And therefore, it is highly justifiable that it was the total business uh, interest and from a total cost of ownership perspective, much better to go and approach it in this way. So really, what you're doing is building a framework and a system to help sell in to senior leadership the value of the structure and the nature uh, of a relationship. And by doing so, you're then elevating the ability to have a functional relationship with your, uh, with your agency partners, to invest in them over time so you don't fall into the trap of uh, underinvesting, saying, oh, it's we're doing fine or we don't care or we can't measure it, so we're not. And it just creates a cycle of success. So super long-winded answer, uh, Susan, I apologize, but I think the question really was, what's the number one piece of, you know, thing, uh, advice for you know, marketing procurement uh, fo folks to, uh, to focus on? And it would be find a way to make your media, your internal partners accountable and responsible for something which helps you sell to your own leadership the value of management uh, and divide and conquer in that way. Um, and conversely, I think the one last part on this is what not to do. Don't treat your partner transactionally. I can't say that. This is, this is a human-based business all marketing, all agency relationships really, really are. And even though we, we, we so much can be done through technology, even if you're just setting AdWords, uh, you know, for Google, we're still a human behind it that has made decisions as relates to how and why, how and when and for what purpose uh, and what happens if and when. Those people need to be enabled and empowered and supportive of what matters to a brand. And we need to, for that, to keep evolving and grow just as brands and companies grow. So keep tweaking. Music to my ears when we talk about that that humanizing and 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 getting away from transactional. So thank you for, for sharing that advice. My turn for a question. So 
we have all together been around agency selection process and we often see that you know a marketer will pick a new partner and then they, they rush into it and just they they rush into getting the work started we've even seen it where a contract isn't finalized until like a year later um so and we understand why it's it's you know there's business that needs to happen there's just so much enthusiasm and everyone is just excited to get started and jump in but how do we get marketers to slow down just a bit to take the time to construct a solid and fair partner partnership relationship program million dollar question carly again i think you guys have a lot of million dollar questions so the it's 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 a it's a it's a very challenging topic because or we all operate in a in a world where ultimately marketing objectives need to hit first and foremost i think that goes without saying is that sometimes things just need to get done and there's infinite level of valid reasons that, uh, you know, even with the best laid plan, that you might not be able to have your partner secured and ready to work until too late to be able to have sufficient time to explore every topic that you should and certainly to document them sufficiently. So I think there's two angles to, to your question, Carly. One is, how do you enable marketers to slow down a bit? And then also is, well, when you just can't slow down, then what? how can you manage with that and make it work for the advertiser in a way that doesn't compromise future performance? I would say that, you know, the art of pitch management has always been a passion of mine as well. The, uh, the concept of how do we select who we select? Uh, how do we match with the right partner? How do we build trust with limited information? And uh, how do we ha create a many-to-many -many relationship where multiple people uh, are uh, with different priorities need to uh, find a partner that can accommodate all those priorities? Uh, that is always going to be a stressful time. So first and foremost, every selection activity is always going to be stressful. Yes, you should and everybody should work with uh, a, a pitch specialist, could be internal, certainly most of the times it's external, somebody that just has gone through it before and can anticipate and identify and prioritize based on who the advertiser is, what the requirements are, etc., what the right way to make that selection is. So that means have a plan for selection, don't just try to wing it, uh, and ensure that in your discussions you can you confirm that you do indeed want to set up a partner relationship program. Because at that point, even at the pitch stage, you can already set up a groundwork for what a contract structurally will look like and what may or may not be achievable on day one based on everything we've talked about so far. Because you might find that you just may not have the data streams of a ways to measure certain KPIs. So no need to go down you know, these red herrings or these uh, these winding roads roads to nowhere, because they're, at that point, we're just there's other areas of a contract, other relationship, of the selection that will matter most. So first, make sure that you are planning for also the contract implementation negotiations as part of our principles of design for a pitch. And that is then going to make everything go down much more smoothly, particularly because you can then incorporate in your own selection activities uh, evidence or proof or conversations with the agency as relates to how can the agency then live up to and support the performance management measures that matter to you. And not every agency is best at measuring uh, or enabling every different measure. So that's definitely an aspect that should be part of every pitch process itself. But I digress. Uh, it's really more about sort of how do you help them slow down? So first thing it is, within the time frame that you have, you can help slow down by just planning ahead, check in with you know, specialists as relates to how long a pitch should look like, what the selection activity should look like, and how to incorporate the negotiations of a contract within the selection process. Manage expectations and also consider that your partners can help you not just with the selection and 
walk away and say goodbye at award time, but rather will be in the best position to help set up the framework and then also manage it over time because we will have learned to prioritize and have, will have visibility as to what your requirements and your needs are, but to contextualize it with an outside lens we talked about earlier, and therefore in the best position to kind of help you uh, implement and set up and prioritize what should be the contract uh, on day one. Uh, so that is, I think, vital. Don't try to do, do it all yourself. It's too much. People have day jobs. There's transitions uh, that may need to be planned for. There's going to be training and onboarding a new agency. Uh, and uh, the documentation piece can often get lost in the mix. So have a plan. And then the second piece goes into the agility aspect, which is, well, even for best laid plan, you might still have time compression, or your plan might just be, I can't solve for all of it now. So at that point, create in your contract the ability and a path to excellence. So at the very basic, set an expectation that says, we will, be a, we, we will manage this relationship with a risk reward mechanism, Start small. You don't need to have a large variable piece if that's the direction that you're interested in. Um, ensure that it is, there's a couple of sort of key KPIs that are tied into the implementation and the uh, setup of a new relationship and the short term goals and objectives. And set an expectation that there's going to be, by a certain time frame, the creation of a better refined, fully uh, explored, uh, uh, mutual set of performance measures. I think I've heard often that, particularly from procurement and legal angles, there's a concern that you're, if you don't set it all up front, that you're going to lose your leverage and lose your negotiating power. And there's a little bit of truth in it for maybe a couple measures. But really, let's not forget, the agency does not want to ever lose your business. The agency wants to make money, sure, but they want to make sure that you never feel not confident that in that uh, that they don't have a client's interest at heart so really it is in their best interest to have a good performance management system and really they actually have more interest in an advertiser to make sure that it is operable and fair and actionable because their viability is at stake so don't fear partnering with them to define define performance you're not really going to lose leverage because what matters in progressive performance management is much rather more on the how do you drive outcomes and how do i drive agility and, and optimization over time and much less the did i hit x boundary in y way as compared to arbitrary z pool of data out there so just a few thoughts there. And it goes back to what you were saying before, to move away from it being a transactional relationship towards a partnership with with mutual goals, respect, trust, all of that. So so makes a lot of sense to us. And Edo, you know we could talk to you forever. We love talking to you, but it's probably time to wrap up. But before we conclude, is there anything you'd like to share with us and our listeners that wasn't covered? I, I, Carly, that's a dangerous question because you know me <laughs> and I could easily go and rant in about 800 other related topics. But I saved time for that. I, I think, I know you. <laughs> no, but I think it was only just a, a quick, a quick perspective because my mindset and 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 of my firm is how do we innovate, build upon existing systems and disrupt while, while enhancing because None of these topics around relationship management are new, but as I think I started out, you know, when I first introduced myself, I've seen so many of these situations fail over time that the question always becomes from a diagnostic perspective, why did they fail? And I found a few key elements as to kind of why they failed, despite an advertiser's or an agency's best investment uh, or best interest, uh, really. And in my, in my opinion, it has always been that systems and, and solutions sometimes become too human-centric and too reliant on individual heroes. Kind of like, this person is 
the agency management person. They have the best process and best solution. And when that person who's a star performer, because they've done so well in doing so, moves on, suddenly there's little ability for that in management framework and system to live over time. Well, Edo, you know, as it happens with every conversation we have with you, we have learned a ton and can't wait for the next one. So thank you for being our guest and thank you to our listeners for joining us. We hope our listeners had as many of those aha moments that we've had. So this is Carly Feinstein from Media Plus Advisors signing us off. Perry Ann, Susan, and I look forward to next time. Thank you for your opportunity. Thanks,